Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And however lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said, she, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Then Mary heard this. She got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had, who had been with Mary in the house confronting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could, could, not, be, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? We are continuing our series on the Lazarus today, and that, by the way, is the re reason that Eric is, Aaron is leading us in singing the, the song, Lazarus. I love that song anyway, but um, by the way, you look good up here, Delane. Sounded good up here. Did you notice the size of our worship team this morning? Isn't that a blessing? Give them a hand. I mean, <laughs> praise God for the... For those who are leading us in our music and in our worship to God, we're not worshiping them, they're leading us in worshiping God. In our study of Lazarus, we come to a point um, where Jesus is approaching perhaps his most outstanding miracle in all of the Bible. Um, I would say, Jonathan, that Maybe the only exception would be healing the man born blind, because the Bible says no one has ever done that before. But on the other hand, Michael, we're talking about raising a man who's been dead for four days. Now, the Jews had this theology, this philosophy, John, that the spirit of a man would hover over him for three days, hoping to reenter the body. But Lazarus, Teresa, has been dead four days. And so the rot has, according to Mary, the rot and the decay has already begun to, sit, to set in. And so it's impossible for him to be raised from the dead. It's impossible. Of course, some of them said that 
resurrection is impossible anyway. But to raise a man, and literally it says four days dead, is beyond imagination. And yet it is exactly who Jesus showed himself to be. To me, the pivoting point of this whole thing comes at the challenge of, of Martha's faith. But we have to understand something that's going on here. I'll talk about this later in the message. But you're not going to understand the power of this moment unless you think about the name of God. Listen, God has a name. Because of the translations we use, we've often forgotten that God has a name. He did not reveal His name until the time of Moses. Now, He was called God Almighty. But He said specifically, I have not revealed myself to my people by my name until now. Moses said, Who shall I say has sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That means I am self-existent. Nobody created me. No one brought me into being. I always was. I am and I shall forever be God eternal. Yahweh. What you were to say to the Israelites, say Yahweh. I am. We, we sometimes say Jehovah. That's literally Yahweh. I am has sent me to you. What's outstanding about that, Jamie, is that Jesus was so bold. It is recorded in the Gospel of John. They were arguing about who Jesus was. They did not believe who Jesus was. And I suspect Jews would understand, and we do not understand the power of what he said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they immediately sought to stone him because he just claimed to be Yahweh. With that in mind then, understand that John is so bold that he records the seven I am's of Jesus. No other gospel does this. There are seven major miracles recorded in the Gospel of John, and there are seven I am's that are recorded in the Gospel of John. Don't miss the fact, Eric, that every single I am is his claim to deity. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Seven times, the number of completion, if you will, Tony. Seven times he said, I am other than having said, before Abraham was born, I am. Paul, there's another occasion. He said, when Jesus said, they said, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they fell back to the ground. 
They knew who he was claiming to be. We may not get that, but Jesus knew, Jerry, what he was saying. And Ellen, they knew what he meant, and it scared them to death. They fell away from him. Who do you believe Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the Yahweh, the Jehovah, the self-existent God of the Old Testament and the Christ of the New Testament? What do you believe? Eight different times, eight different times, Ashley, the word believe is used in chapter 11 alone. The summarizing verse, chapter 20, I think it's verse 31 of the Gospel of John. Yes, there's a 21st chapter, but that's, that's sort of an epilogue. The final chapter of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John is chapter 20, verse 31. All this is written so that you may believe. Believe. That's what it's all about. Do you believe? That is Jesus' challenge of our faith. That key passage, the center point of chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And here's the challenge. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? A challenge to our faith. Now, I know that most of you have been saved. If you have not been, I hope you hear the gospel and it hits you right in the heart this morning. And God makes you so uncomfortable by the conviction of His Holy Spirit that you cannot leave this building without trusting Christ and being saved. It is also my desire that every one of you who has faith in God, you've been saved, that this message and this passage may strengthen your faith. Because a faith that has not been challenged, has not been tested, cannot be trusted. It is a challenge to your faith. You have faith, but sometimes we, we need to understand that in this context, Jesus did not come. You remember that from last week? Does anybody ever remember something I preached, you know, a week ago or several weeks ago? He did not go immediately when he heard that, that Lazarus was sick. And he knew that at the moment he was told that, that Lazarus had already died. Do you believe that Jesus' timing is perfect? You see... He said to his disciples, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. There will be times in your life and mine when we're praying for something and God's answer is either no or not yet. Will we still believe? How strong will our faith be and our trust in Him? Listen, His timing is always perfect. It may not be perfect for us, but it is perfect for His glory. Now, our faith, I said that most of you have faith in God. 
Yeah, that's bothering me too. I'm sorry. That's distracting. Uh, it's not your eyes and it's not mine. That's the, the monster. Uh, the monster. Uh, <clears throat> that's the monitor. Sometimes we have faith that is clouded by disappointment. God's not doing what we want Him to do. And so we are disappointed that He's not acting and He's not answering at the time that, <laughs> that we want Him to. And our faith is clouded by disappointment. Listen, let me tell you, God's timing is always perfect. Karen, He's always on time, even when we think He's late. He's always right on time to do exactly what He intends to do, done for His glory and not for ours. Do you believe that? You must, we must believe that His timing is always perfect, even when our faith is clouded by disappointment. Sometimes our faith is limited by doubt. Our faith is limited by doubt. I just happened to catch Paul's eye when, when I said that. How many times, brother, have you moved chasing the call of God and find, trying to find out exactly what His will is for you? Uh, don't tell me that somewhere along the way there was not some doubt in those decisions. I've been there and done that. And, and even when you know that you're in the right place, I've told people before when we first got to Kenya and that we were going through a rough time and missing family and adjusting to culture and all of that, uh, Walt and Maggie are here from Vanuatu this morning. Be sure and meet them. But when we first got to Kenya, Walt, I knew I was where I belonged, but I said to God, what did I do to deserve this? You know, I... I, there was doubt about whether I was there in punishment or on purpose. I knew I was in the right place, but sometimes our prayers and our faith are plagued by doubt. Let your faith grow. Answer the challenge of God by stepping out in faith and trusting Him. Sometimes our faith is drowned by sorrow. Every time I say that, I think of a friend of mine from years ago. Her husband was stricken with cancer, and very seriously so. She prayed, we prayed, the church prayed, churches prayed for his healing, and God chose to heal him by promoting him to heaven. And at that moment, it was like her faith was gone. Everyone was shocked. Because this woman had been a faithful servant, a, a, a strong member of the church, and she acted as if she was so disappointed in God and so overcome with sorrow that she had no faith left. Sometimes we need to understand that sorrow can be so deep that our faith may be invisible to others around us. And when someone loses a loved one, we have to allow them to give vent to their sorrow. There's a very real sense, David, in which they're not in their right mind at that moment. You know that? Sorrow drowns our faiths to the point that it may not exactly be evident to everyone around us. Give them time. Love them. By the way, don't preach sermons to them because they're not able to hear it at that moment. 
The time will come when they will listen to the sermon. The time will come. But sometimes our faith is drowned by sorrow. If you're bereaved this morning, if you're missing a loved one, let me tell you, God still loves you, and He is with you, and He is the God of all comfort. And you can trust God. You can trust God. How's your faith? Listen. Despite your disappointment, doubt, and sorrow, do you still believe? You may have to be like the man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Let me ask you something very personal. It's not in my notes, but it won't co- I won't charge any extra for this question. Is your faith stronger today than when you first believed? Are you going in the right direction? Are you growing in faith? Or is your faith clouded, doubtful, sorrowful? Jesus issues a challenge of faith to you. He stepped into the room. He brought you here this morning so that he could whisper in in your ear, Do you believe? Do you believe I am who I say I am? Do you believe that I am with you? Do you believe that I want to save you? Do you believe I'll do what I say I will do? Do you believe? The second thing, do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? In verse 25, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now, I want you to notice in this a couple of things. I want you to notice three titles that's used here of Christ's deity. Do it on every screen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Who's he claiming to be? Well, I've already told you, right? Who is the I am of the Bible? It is Yahweh. It is Jehovah God. In in an amazing way, he's trying to tell the Jews who ought to know, I am the I am. I am the Lord God. Listen to me. I've been reading Isaiah. I love the book of Isaiah. This is going to be a little bit weird, and I'm looking at the clock to see if i got time to say this. I don't, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do you realize that there was three years that the prophet Isaiah ran around naked preaching his prophecy? <clears throat> I can't imagine that. And in fact, another prophet wrote about him and and, and an allusion to him said, I'm going to run around naked and and howl like a wolf, howl like a coyote. That's, That's a picture of Isaiah. And I thought about that. I think I shared this, Gail, with the Thursday morning coffee bunch. That image of Isaiah running around naked and screaming like, howling like a dog. And yet... I read the words of the prophecy of Isaiah, and it is beautiful. 
They must have looked at him, Alan, like he's a crazy man. But if they listen to his words, I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. And there is none else. I am the only God. I, Yahweh, am the only God. Listen to me. The Yahweh of Isaiah is the Jesus of the New Testament. That's who he claimed to be. Not only did he say, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, he said I'm the resurrection. He made the resurrection personal. He did not say, I'm going to resurrect you. By the way, it is the Holy Spirit of God that does the resurrection, according to theology, according to the Scriptures. Biblical theology shows that it's the Spirit of God that does the raising from the dead. But Jesus said, I am. He, did, he didn't say, I'm going to be resurrected. And He didn't say, Gene, I'm going to resurrect you. He said, I am the resurrection. He is resurrection personified. All that the resurrection is, He is. I am. I am the resurrection. And then He said, I am the life. He didn't say, I'm the source of life. He didn't say, I will give you life. Actually, He said all those things. But in this case, John David, He's saying, I'm life itself. I'm life. By the way, if you want life, eternal life, there's only one place to find it. It's in the God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is life itself. You must come to Him. You hear today, there are a lot of ways to God. Oh, no. There are a lot of ways to Jesus, but Jesus is the only way to God. He is life, and you cannot make it to heaven. You cannot have eternal life except by receiving Him as Savior, repenting of your sins, admitting that you're not life and you don't have eternal life, admitting that He is life and trusting in Him for that life. You believe in Him and in believing in Him, you step into Him and you have His life in you. That's what salvation is. That is the only way to have eternal life is to believe into Him. And that's, by the way, the language that's used here and throughout the Gospel of John is to believe into because when you believe into, Jackie, you believe and step into Christ. It is by faith in Him that we're saved. Three titles of Christ's deity. But in the same, at the same time, in answer to that challenge, we know that He is who He says He is because of the four expressions of Martha's faith. She said, yes, Lord. Now, that word Lord is in the Greek language, and it's the word kurios. Choose to use for Jehovah, for Yahweh. Now, they believed that it was dangerous to say the name Yahweh. 
a Jew in the service today would very be very upset at me because I've repeatedly used that name because they believe that if you use it repeatedly, then maybe you'll take it, you'll blaspheme the name, you'll use it wrongly. Well, look at Isaiah. Just in the book, by the way, Yahweh is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. 6,000 times. Again and again, Isaiah pronounced the name of Yahweh. Those Greek translators translating the Septuagint of the Old Testament in Greek used the term Kyrios for Yahweh. And so when, he, when she called him Lord, she knew what she was saying. He said, she said she called him Lord. And then she said, I believe that you are the Messiah. That is the anointed one. That's the, that's the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the one who is promised from the beginning. That is who the Jews had looked for for most of their lives. And she named him what all the Jews around her were afraid to say and tried to prove was not true. He's the Messiah. The Messiah has really come. The Savior of the world has really come. She used that expression for, uh, because of her faith and called him the Son of God. By the way, I talked about our faith in God. Our God's name is not Allah. Because our God, God the Father, is the Father of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's not Allah. And those who name the name of Allah and say it's all the same God, it is not. Because they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. She affirmed His deity saying, I know you're the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, you have to be the Son of God. Listen to me, you cannot be saved unless you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. You must believe that He is the Son of God. By the way, there's a fourth expression we might miss, and that is, you're the one who is to come into the world. Todd, that's, I, would, I was tempted to title that the coming one. I mean, even the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well said, we know that when Messiah comes, the coming one, Martha looked at him and said, I know who you are. You're the one that's been promised. You're the one who is to come, and here you are. By the way, understand, for you to be saved, you have to believe that God became flesh and dwelt among us and died as a human and yet as God for your sins. He could not pay for your sins unless He's God, and He could not die in your place unless He's human. And so we need to, to see not only Christ's deity, but also His humanity. And deep pockets proven in the verses. Did you notice when Adam was reading, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. 
That term, deeply moved, that's, that is an emotional term. Now, what it means, I was a little surprised when I started looking up the words. That term, deeply moved, um, means that the word is gone. Um, it, it means he was stirred up to the point of being angry with them. He was moved um, almost with an arrogance of who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? He was stirred up. He was deeply moved. And he was troubled. Another emotional statement. But that troubled means, again, more of an angry word. It's, it's, what it means is stressed. You're stressing me. Now, Mom, you've never said that to your children. You just need to take a time out. And I think at that point, Karen, Jesus wanted to say, you, you guys just need to take a time out. He was troubled. Then he said, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. He was sorrowful. I think the sorrow, Cynthia, probably was as much of the broken, over the broken world, broken by sin, and the death that is the result of that. Listen, get this. You need to understand. This is, I told Todd, I'm going to use a highly theological statement. Jesus' deity is not diminished by his humanity, nor is his humanity dim diminished by his deity. The question is, whether you get that or not, who do you believe Jesus to be? Do you believe that he is the God who became flesh to die in your place? And do you understand how crazy deep that is? God, who was fully God, became flesh, fully human, to take your sins and mine to the cross. Number three. Jesus will do what he says he will do. He said, our friend has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Anybody remember what I told you the real meaning of that word is? Unsleep him. I'm going to go unsleep him. The disciples thought, how do you unsleep somebody? And the nearest they could come was to wake him up. Well, he did what he said he was going to do. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. He did what he said he would do. He already knew what he was going to do. He said that from the beginning. And he did it so that, the, that God's Son might be glorified through it, which gives him the greater glory for him to go Delane, and heal Lazarus so that he does not die or go as soon as he dies and raise him or three choices here, A, B, and C. Wait till he's four days dead. Which the Jews at that point, it's too late. Nothing can be done. And he raised him from the dead. He raised a man four days dead. That's the terminology, by the way, that he's a, he's a man four days dead. Actually, the terminology is a little more, he's a four days dead man. It was impossible. But he knew what he was going to do. 
Do you believe that Jesus will do what he says he will do? His purpose all along in all of this is that they would believe. The purpose of the gospel of John, I've already told you, is stated in John 20, 31, that you may believe. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this and the ideas out loud for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Listen, Jesus' purpose in your life is that you believe. Pretty simple. And I'm not just talking, though, about the faith. JV, I heard your amen a while ago. Raised your hand one time. I about fainted. JV raised his hand. I appreciate that. And the purpose is not just that we believe for salvation. It is that we grow in faith. If there is ever a point that your faith stops growing, you are out of the purpose of God. Have you been there? Out of God's purpose? Out of service? Out of church? Out of His will? Saying no to His directions? Disobedient? Rebellious? Have you been there? It's time to come home. It's time to come back to Him. It's time for your faith to thrive again. Listen to me. He is who He says He is. He will do what He says He will do. And He will do it in you. In you. He will do it in you. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, the power of your word. And I pray right now for the power and the moving of your Holy Spirit. Touching and changing hearts and lives. Drawing people to you. Breaking our stubborn will. Father, that we would follow you, that we would serve you. I pray for those in the service right now who need to make decisions and commitments. Lord, that you will break their hearts and their wills, that they would bend their knees and give in to your call. Make the decision that you wish for them to make. And I pray that that would happen right here, right now.